Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. In this week's episode, we decided to talk about something that means a lot to me personally. This episode's discussion is about something that has affected each and every one of us in this career. It is something that without, we would not be where we are today, as people, as artists, or even as a society. Today's topic is history, and more specifically, the Body Piercing Archive. The Body Piercing Archive is a committee within the Association of Professional Piercers that is tasked with researching, collecting, preserving, and informing our industry for not only the current generation, but also for future generations to come. We sit down with the forever charming Paul King, former APP board member and piercer at Cold Steel Body Piercing in San Francisco, California, and Devin Ruiz Altamora, committee member of the Body Piercing Archive. Many know that our industry's roots are ones that stem from different subcultures and were also hidden out of public view, but not many know the work that it takes to find this information decades later. So without further ado, listen in as we talk about the mission of the archive itself, how I now imagine Paul as the Indiana Jones of porn, and the future of the Body Piercing Archive. start this week's episode uh, with a quote from Marcus Garvey, which is a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. So this week, we're going to talk about a valued and meaningful thing to all of us, even though sometimes it flies under the radar of many. It's an incredibly important thing, not only to our industry, but actual modern history. So this episode, we're going to be discussing the body piercing archive its mission, and the people that help make this dream into a reality. So let's go ahead and uh, introduce this week's guests who are responsible for this. Right on. Uh, hi, Will. Hi, everyone out there in Radio Land, or I guess it's podcast land. Uh, I'm old-timey over here. Uh, my name is Paul King. Uh, I'm the chairperson of the Body Piercing Archive. For those that may not know, the Body Piercing Archive is a committee at present uh, under the umbrella of the Association of Professional Piercers. We started in the committee formed in 2014 uh, under the direct supervision of the board of directors. Uh, our mission is uh, to select, collect, document, preserve, exhibit, and interpret the personal, social, and material evolving histories of body piercing to ensure these artifacts are available to present and successive generations. And although I'm uh, the chair of the, uh, of the committee, I by no means do this alone. It definitely takes a village uh, to 
to operate this committee. We do a lot of things, most of which aren't very visible. Uh, a lot of it, or the majority of it happens actually behind the scenes. One of the people that's integral to the running is Devin, who's also here today. Would you like to introduce yourself, Devin? Hi, yeah. I'm part of that village. Um, I'm Devin Ruiz Altamira. Um, I've worked at Cold Steel um, with Paul for a figured out almost six years now. Um, and I've been a committee member, um, with the body piercing archive for a year now. She, uh, had probably the world's longest job interview, (laughs) which was working for me and my shop before we brought her on board at the body piercing archive. Uh, she has a previous life where, uh, she has skill sets that were uniquely, uh, not only adaptable, but desperately needed at the archive. And we have her behind the scenes doing tons of cataloging and processing, minor restoration work. Uh, she's really super important and does a lot of work for us. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's really great, too, because you can um, – and we'll give you a chance at the end of the episode to plug social media and things like that. But following you on social media is one of my favorite things because you actually get to see – like what's going into the archive and like what you're working on. And it's, that's actually the reason why I was like, I really need to talk to these two because I feel like a lot of people don't realize the sheer amount of work that you're actually doing on a daily basis for future generations. Well, thank you for mentioning that, uh, Will, because social media is one of the things that I am terrible at and Devin is amazing at. So (laughs) whatever you've noticed on social media is probably thanks to Devin and her work since she came on board. Uh, You are right. We do a lot of stuff, uh, most of which isn't really recorded uh, even on social media. We usually just do teasers. Uh, Probably our biggest presence that people will know about us is the exhibits that we do at conference every year. And we are now, believe I can't believe it, we are now on our fifth annual exhibit. Uh, it started, the first exhibit that we did at the APP annual conference in Las Vegas was back in 2015. And that one was, uh, we organized that and it made the most sense to us since it also happened to be the 20th anniversary of the APP that we should do it looking at ourselves. So that's what we did. We took the opportunity to look at the last 20 years of the APP. And also, uh, you know, in sadness, Raylan Galena had passed away that year. So we also had a memorial to her. In 2016, uh, we, we did this incredible joint venture project with the Leather Archives Museum in Chicago. Uh, long before the Body Piercing Archive existed uh, more than a decade. In fact, Jim Ward had been given Sailor Sid uh, half of his archive. Uh, it, was the pier- it was technically loosely referred to as the piercing part of the archive. And Jim Ward didn't know what to do with it, so Jim turned it over to the Leather Archive and Museum, and uh, they didn't have the resources. And so... The Sailor Sid archive just sat around for a decade uh, without being processed or stabilized or anything like that. And then they came to us, and the APP and the Body Piercing Archive coordinated a fundraising project to raise the capital that they needed to bring in some outside folks, as well as use and pay their inside folks to properly catalog, 
preserved, get everything digitized and up online so that uh, the community historians and whatnot would have access to Sellersid's archive. So that was super exciting. Part of the agreement that we had with the Leather Archive for 2016 was that they also had to come out and show us all this really cool stuff that we were helping to fundraise for. And so that was 2016. And then in 2017, uh, Charles Gatewood had passed away. So uh, you'll you'll start to notice uh, uh, a theme uh, where we want to address within the community like immediate needs, um, which oftentimes coincides with people passing away. Uh, It's not our intention to do it's all the time, but at the same time, you know, we, we really understand the emotional attachment to, to some folks in the community and we want to honor that. So with the passing of Charles Gatewood and, and also the fact that we got a large, uh, in fact, we got his entire video archive, the uh, audiovisual archive of Charles Gatewood, and the importance that he had with the book Modern Primitives and Dance is Sacred and Profane, the Fakir Mustafar movie, as well as uh, his underground photographs and videos documenting the piercing community in New York and West Coast. It made a lot of sense in 2017 that we honor his passing and our acquiring of his uh, archive um, with the 2017 exhibit. Uh, so yeah, so it's 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 been wild. It's been uh, very fast moving. As fast as we're getting uh, these acquisitions and processing these acquisitions, we're also in tandem planning the exhibits, and you, you know. My work is volunteer. The other people on the, the committee's work, it's all volunteer. Devin is actually our only uh, uh, paid in, uh, contractor, and she's only part-time. So it's it's been a lot of uh, juggling uh, to bring it uh, out to the public, to, to our community, uh, as things unfold. It's, it's, it's really unusual, both trying to process collections and plan exhibits. Uh, this brings us up to the 2018 uh, exhibit, which was this last year. And this was on performance art and its intersections with the body piercing community. And again, uh, a performance artist had passed away who was also one of my best friends and he had left his archive to us to handle. And so we processed it and we used it in the exhibit and we had Ron Athey come out and give a lecture and some other folks, some academics, and everything was sort of themed around last year's presentation of uh, performance art and body piercing. And then we took that archive and we realized that with John John's archive, since he was a European-based performance artist and there was a learning institution called Queen Mary's University, uh, that trains, you know, performance artists go there to get, you know, their master's degree and whatnot in performance art. It made more sense that John John's collection lived there. Uh, it's a very established and also very respectable institution. Uh, so we actually passed on most of John John's stuff to them. It made it made the most sense. And then, of course, as I'm sure everyone out there knows, uh, Fakir Musafar passed away. And, uh, you know, 
we had no choice, of course, other than uh, to want to celebrate and to remember uh, everything that he's done. He's he's truly one of the cornerstones uh, cornerstones of our community, and so that's what we're doing with this year's 2019. Is it's going to be the largest ever uh, exhibit on Fakir Mushfar's performance art, his photographic art, his body play. And there's going to be tons of material and photographs and lots of surprises. I think folks are going to really learn a lot about Fakir that they didn't know. Yeah, that's I, I have to say that's my biggest regret about not going to conference this year is what? Yeah, well, baby. What do you mean you're not going to conference? Little tiny baby. So, so I'm the stay at home dad. So I I need to take care of the baby. Uh, but All right. but yes. hopefully, uh, and and this is usually the trend is a lot of people post pictures of like things that they see and stuff like that. So hopefully, um, I'll get to to peek at a few things of that. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to call up. Uh, a few friends and just be like, I'm going to FaceTime you and just let me see everything because um, you guys really do such a good job at conference presenting all the material and everything like that. And at least uh, I've missed the last two conferences, but every conference that I went to prior to the prior to that, it was actually really surprising when you would go there and see people walking through the exhibit. A lot of folks didn't, either realize the past or didn't realize it in the amount of detail that you guys spent on it. So I think it's really important because it, it could just be me and it's my personal opinion, but it seems our community has a little bit of like history detachment where like some people know a, a massive amount of information and some people know very little. And it's really important to know where things came from or why we do things a certain way or who, you know, created the waves to, to get us to where we are today. And I really have to commend you on the job that um, you and everyone that is involved does to, you know, bring all this stuff to light. Well, thank you, Will. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're struggling with and, you know, it's so funny because it's hard to not compare ourselves to the tattoo community and industry, uh, even though I know they're very different, but at the same time, they're kind of kissing cousins. And, it, it can be helpful to look at them. You know, they've had, you know, more than a hundred years of academic and professional limelight. Now, granted, 50 years of that at least was pathologizing the history and showing the criminality of tattooing, but they were still being documented. And there was still, you know, certain, although very biased, uh, records being kept on tattooing. Unlike piercing, which has been so, it's so much more taboo that, you know, just finding the evidence of it, the recovering, so much of it was either destroyed or ignored uh, or so deeply pathologized because it was often more frequently than tattooing. And certainly tattooing was linked to sexuality, but even more frequently, when we look at Western histories of body piercing, they're very interconnected, very linked to underground fetish and oftentimes illegal communities or, or what was in those days would have been illegal communities. So it's just a much deeper level of digging we have to do. And there's so much fewer of us, you know, you had mentioned like, it seems like there's some people that have a lot of knowledge from where I'm standing. There's very few people that have a lot of knowledge of the body piercing community prior to the nineties. Uh, 
you know, and, and the irony is the perspective today is, well, that's the deep history. And, you know, the more I learn, I'm like, fuck here, Mushafar isn't even the deep history. <laughs> I mean, it goes so much further than that. There's so much work to be done. Um, it really, you know, it's such a cliche, but it really, really is just beginning. And, you know, it's a, it's a completely uphill battle because there's so few of us that are able, that have the luxury, that have the privilege to be able to dedicate serious time and academic work uh, and research to body piercing. Uh, tattooing has had way more attention from academics and researchers than uh, body piercing has. So we're starting from behind, but you know, oh my God, the support of the piercing community has been incredible. The fundraising that we did for the Leather Archive and Museum for the Sailor Sid uh, collection literally brought tears to my eyes. The unanimous, the continued unanimous support that we get from the board is just a beautiful thing. Like everyone gets what's at stake here. Everyone, even if they don't have a firm handle on the history, they understand the loss. And so what we're finding now is, you know, in the absence of deep histories, even for those of us that were around since the 90s, you then have a new generation. And, you know, I'm seeing over and over again, people are professional piercers now without even knowing how to do genital piercings. Like, so what does that mean? If we have professional piercers that don't even do the genital piercings that were so much a part of the Western history, it's it's going to be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Uh, to say the very least, I don't envy what you do, but I appreciate it with like everything that you guys post and everything that you guys uh, scan. Actually, that brings me to a really good point. You guys have to process a ton of material. And not only do you have to process it, you have to find it. Can you guys explain, just so our listeners can kind of get like an honest grasp of what it's like to have to search and hunt out for things and then to also process it? Can you tell me like what that entails? It always amazes the ways in which Paul <laughs> can acquire <laughs> amazing things <laughs> that would just be lost to the wind if we hadn't have gotten a hold of it. Um, but that is that is mostly something he does, so I'll let him. <laughs> So when you're looking at the body piercing archive, there's, you know, there's some technical things that uh, might be a little boring, but they also will give understanding into how it works. So in the body piercing archive, we have things that are the property of, if you will, the body piercing archive. And those would include uh, APP historical archives. Uh, as we mentioned before, Charles Gatewood Historical Archives, Fakir Mushafar, we now have a significant portion of his items are officially a part and owned by the APP. And then in tandem to that, we have what is on probably permanent loan, uh, or until I die, is my, <laughs> my, my collection. And the nice thing about uh, having that part of the archive and online is it's it it will be available to researchers once we are at that place and can make everything available to researchers uh but it also doesn't cost the app anything so it means basically i'm able to acquire stuff uh pay for it we'll have it available for the future and it not cost anything and as far as what's involved oh my god what is not involved so um uh, 25 years of personally collecting through all manners and avenues 
terms of search engines, finding things, knowing what things are called, uh, going to swap meets, uh, going to antique markets in the back of dusty places, you know, in small side streets in London, uh, going to ephemera markets, uh, going to uh, so much pornography. I cannot tell you how much porn I've had to look at because so much of our uh, of our history is in pornography. And the irony is because of my own unconscious bias. Like I used to always be really dismissive of the history that was in porn. And I didn't really start researching that until probably four years ago. Uh, since then, uh, I've acquired uh, probably 500. What would you say, Devin? You actually... That sounds right. <laughs> about At 500. Least uh magazines that are dated prior to 1990 that deal that have some sort of either mention photographic evidence or connection to body piercing so that's pretty good i think it's really rad too cuz i i know that it's like very inappropriate but i feel like you're like the indiana jones of piercing porn and it's just I love like, it. it's just like you like <laughs> Like turning over things and like finding like a PFIQ or like something like that, just like hidden in like a weird garage sale. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, it's funny. Like uh, the PFIQs, I, I considered them kind of like, um, I don't know, orphans. Like when I come across them, uh, and, I, and I'm pretty lucky on certain things like PFIQs, I come across them fairly often. And, uh, and I, I just sort of rescue them. I feel like they're, they're orphans out there. Uh, but, they're they're sort of like I don't want to say low hanging fruit, but they're more obvious. There's other stuff that's way more obscure. Where like you just have to like screw magazine from the 70s. You just have to like scour through you know a couple hundred issues to find. Usually it nets less than five percent return. Usually it's it's less than five percent of you know all these magazines will have something. Maybe closer to like two or three percent. So it's a lot of looking through uh, to find it. And like I said, I just started about four years. I feel it's um, really important. Time can always get away. That I want to talk about uh, some folks that aren't on this podcast today. Absolutely. Number one uh, being Becky Dill. Like just because you're not hearing, that's because she is. Uh, honestly, she's too busy working on this year's exhibit to take time off. Uh, to come sit on the podcast. Uh, I was doing all the uh, initial investigative research and writing up and some of the planning as far as the direction for this year's exhibit. But then it's like on Becky to lay out all the banner work. And that is just, uh, it's not an exaggeration. It's hundreds of hours of cleaning up images and laying out images. It's an incredible amount of work. So that's what Becky's working on right now. And uh, Becky Dill is, you know, not just a worker bee. She is uh, definitely uh, uh, a comrade in this. And she, I, I can't say enough. Like, I, I, I don't know how I would do it without Becky. She's just been incredible. And she's transitioning to being on the board, too. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot of hats, you know? Yeah, but I mean, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, share her story but so you may be surprised when she unveils it like her some of her big projects and missions 
aren't going to be archive related. She's doing some additional stuff that uh, I'll let you talk to her and do an interview with about. It's very exciting stuff and I totally support it. Matt Erickson has been with us since day one of the committee forming under the board. Um, Matt Erickson is just a pillar of strength. Uh, I can always count on Matt. Uh, He's been incredibly reliable. He also uh, did his own, he curated, he organized it and curated his own second uh, exhibit during 2017 on the vendor floor in honor of uh, the history of Western modern uh, body piercing. Incredible stuff from like gauntlet forward, uh, things that are long, 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 companies that have long folded and designs that are, that are long out of stock. So Matt Erickson has been a huge asset. And then we have like angels floating around, like Jamie Biggers that just like, he's a workhorse. I'm like, hey, I need this polish and I need that carry from here to there. And oh, by the way, alphabetize 500 gay porno mags. <laughs> they weren't all gay. Like it was a lot of, like, hey, by the way, trigger warning. Uh, you're going to see some stuff you probably haven't seen before. So Jamie's been awesome uh, volunteer and he's local. That's one of our biggest problems is we have no shortage of people that have desire you know, at least expressed desire to help, but it's really limited as far as, you know, we need particular skill sets such as video editing uh, and time commitments, which is really hard to ask of volunteers. You know, usually it'll sound great for the first hour or two and then they start to peter out. So it's really hard to, to have people be able to keep the long-term commitments. And, you know, for skill sets other than like video editing, what have you, uh, it's got to be local which rules out 99.9% of the people that would love to volunteer. Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize is like, it sounds so rad. Be like, Oh, I'm part of the volunteer that does this or does that. Like I'm like one of the committees uh, for the organization. And then like you actually sit down and you're like, Holy crow. Like this week was 20 hours. Like I go to work. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You're like, I go to work for 40 hours. Like, yeah. That's a paycheck I'm not getting and time that I could be spent doing something else. So a lot of people like want to do it, but then very at least in my experience, very few actually stay on to continue to do it because yeah. it is so demanding. It is. And it makes the people who do even yeah. <laughs> their commitment. Yeah, um, absolutely. To volunteering to help out as well. One of my favorite volunteers, actually, I mean, he's not, I mean, he's a volunteer, but he's also a committee meeting uh, member because he wouldn't take no for an answer. I was so politely trying to tell him, no, no, thank you, but no, was Gene Gowan. And he just created, a, like, and I love that uh, about people. It's like, you know, he's long distance and he didn't have the exact skill set of what I w- I thought we needed. But he came up with something else. He's like, fine, I'm going to help you with fundraising. And he has his mom and their entire sewing circle create these one-of-a-kind bags using like uh, donated industry t-shirts, like old piercing shop merch. And they'll design backpacks and like all this crazy stuff that we're able to fundraise with. Uh, and again, it was just cause he wouldn't take no for an answer. He's like, Nope, I'm going to help you guys. And how about this idea? And I'm like, wow, like I hadn't thought of that. That's great. Gene. I, I love Gene. I really do. And it's, it always cracks me up because when I 
first met him, it was just like real quick and passing. And then nowadays he actually works out of the studio where I had a studio at. Um, that's where he opened up cold river. And every time I go home, I always mean to do it. I have a bunch of old, like very old BME, like team shirts. And I'm, uh, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a little too portly for them uh, currently. Yeah. So uh, some I've never even worn. They've just been in boxes. And I, I definitely got to get some of those to them. Let me just put a sideways plug. So and this kind of links in like, so we are not doing, let me be clear, we are not doing open acquisitions. In other words, like, if people are just like offering up their archives right now, we are so appreciative, but we're trying to resist the most common pitfall that archives run into, which is they turn into hoarders. They get way more material than they can ever process in multiple lifetimes, and, and then they don't know what they have. So we're trying to have some organization and getting things processed as we go. So what we're asking is when people want to donate their items to the archive, is that if they have some place that is safe, attics and basements tend to not be ideal because they're either too hot, too cold, too wet. But if they've got like a closet that they can just pack stuff up in and leave it in the closet, keep it safe from moths, uh, we will let everybody know a place where we can open up acquisitions. Now we do make exceptions to that. And the exceptions to that would be as if a collection is in danger. like. I'm sorry, I'm throwing all this shit away. Take it or it's getting thrown away. Then we have we are making exceptions for that. Uh, obviously, when people pass away, anything where a collection might be in danger, we make exceptions for. But in general, if it's safe with you, we would like you, you to keep it with you. And the reason I say all that is your BME shirts uh, may have distinct value. If you only have onesies of them, Please don't donate them to Gene to cut up just <laughs> if because we don't have any BME shirts in the collection yet. So pack them up, put them in the back of your closet, hang on to them. Again, if you're at risk of losing them because baby no, needs space or something, no, 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 let no. us know. They're they're hanging tight. They've been there for a while. There's only a handful awesome. that I still wear, but um, yeah. that actually gives now, duplicates. Give those to Gene. Let them hack them. So that, that actually brings up um, something that I want to discuss. And uh, for, for the people that don't have uh, items to donate or time to donate, is there any way that people can like still support and help, whether it be through donations to the APP or anything specific like that to help the organ or uh, to help the body piercing archive grow? So here's the funny thing. Um, and we are in truly uh my network with a lot of other non we're in a truly unique position which is uh we're doing as much growth as we can handle right now for the amount of assets that we have and the amount of collections that we're processing and where the greater organization APP is at so in this weird way today we're actually not hitting people up for money, which is such a crazy thing to say. That does not mean we won't. We have some big projects coming up and these really big projects, which are exciting. And I don't want to completely uh, all the secrets out, but we have some big projects that are going to be coming up soon that we will be doing specific fundraising for. Okay. That's great. 
So that's like a short-term thing. One of the things that I want to, I'm wearing my treasurer's hat right now, APP treasurer's hat is the APP is a 501c6. So if you are a business, a piercer business, you can make a tax deduct, you know, you need to talk to your tax uh, accountant. You can make an expense with the APP. You can have an expense that will be a tax write-off. But as a 501c6, you cannot donate to us. And I want to be clear on that. You can make contributions to us, but you can't make a tax deductible donation. One of the medium to long Depending on, we have plans, but you know things do change. So it'll either be a medium long goal, and the board knows this. At some point, it's going to be beneficial for the archive to spin off from being a committee to being its own 501c3 nonprofit. And once we're a 501c3, that will open us up to grants. That will open us up to people being able to leave money to us in their will. Uh, endowments that will open us uh, up to even the general public and enthusiasts, piercing enthusiasts, being able to make tax-deductible donations to us. But that fits, that dovetails more into our long-term plan, our long-term goal, uh, which is to eventually have an archive, library, and museum, which would be super exciting. Oh, that would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, if... Trust me, if someone has some mad money they want to put that now, uh, we will make that a short-term goal. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, that's, that's quite a big ticket. And uh, we have many other things like getting our software in order and things like that prior to actually taking this to a brick and mortar. Now, you had mentioned before, gosh, you know, you're really missing this year, not being able to be there for the exhibit. And I have to admit... I feel your loss, and it, it, it's going to be really an impressive exhibit this year. Uh, however, for the first time, we're upping our game, and we've always made documenting and promotion of the exhibit kind of a second thought. And we're giving it a lot of thought this year, and we're going to have like a professional level uh, video done, both commercial as well as uh, an archival piece, so different lengths that are really going to get into the nuts and bolts, both of promoting the exhibit as well as documenting the exhibit. Uh, because here's the thing, and this is a, this is a tiny little secret, a maybe secret. Uh, we're doing all this hard work and we're creating an exhibit that can be installed in two days max. Usually we've always done this in one day. Uh, there's no reason why this couldn't travel. So uh, one of the things that we will be exploring, we don't have any offers, we haven't done some of the hard work yet, but one of the, the thoughts that we're exploring is what would it be like to have traveling exhibits? So Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, who knows, maybe even internationally. Uh, certainly some of these exhibits are, worth, are, are worthy of that sort of uh, uh, exploration. So we'll see. Absolutely. One makes me happy because I'm being selfish, but two, that's absolutely incredible that you guys, and I, I keep stressing this, the amount of work you do is astounding. And then on top of that, you're like, uh, let's just push that envelope just a little bit farther. What if we do this? And, and I yeah. understand it. And it's just, it just shows the absolute love and devotion that you have, you know, for the history and for the things that you do, because like, let, let's make sure that everyone knows both of you guys or both of you people, excuse me, still have full-time jobs and you still, you know, run a piercing business and everything like that. So this is on top, on top, like 
of all of the things that you you both do? Yeah, well, I'm only able uh, to, and I do, I donate my time on the archive. I'm only able to donate my time on the archive because I have such an incredible staff that's so established. Like our newest employee has been with us six years. Uh, you know, I have another employee that I trained to Pierce 25 years ago. So it's only because I have such a stable work environment that it allows me the privilege to be able to donate my time to the archive, which is my love and passion right now. That's, that's as far as my relationship as a quote unquote piercer, that's where my love is. It's not what's the newest piercing, what's the newest techniques or what have you. It's really about uh, trying to preserve, collect, and share the history of our community with everyone. I do want to like say a few more thank yous because uh, there's some folks uh, like Alan Faulkner who like one week a year he's our you know a saint at conference and takes care of all of our tech stuff at conference and although Kendra Burnt is stepping down from uh, the board position uh, and her other commitments. Her work as editor of The Point, she took it upon herself to be part of our committee just to make sure <laughs> the balls that I drop with having articles appear regularly on history happened regularly. So, you know, we're incredibly indebted to her for that. Brian Skelly, behind the scenes, doing tech advising. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the amount of redundancy that we have to have ethically to properly run an archive and the technology protocols and all that stuff. It's insane. And I couldn't do it without uh, some professional advice from someone such as Brian Skelly. Danny, that helps us with design. And do you want to talk about Pablo? Yeah. Um, Danielle Greenwood doing design for us. Um, uh, Pablo Perlmuter, who was kind of my part of my eyes and ears on the ground uh, last year for the exhibit, um, doing videos for us, um, for social media, but also just helping set up, um, and helping me get in contact with people there because I, I've, so I've worked with the archive for a year. Um, I've never been to conference in my six years of working in the industry. Um, and, uh, working on being part of the exhibit last year and not being there, um, was a little bit tricky. <laughs> Felt a little bit like releasing my baby, uh, without, you know, being able to be there for it. But um, he did a fantastic job helping um, me stay in touch with everything that was going on there. Uh, and I'm very excited to be there this year working with everyone. Um, and Becky's volunteer team as well. Um, all of the fantastic people who, uh, who donated their time and were there early and stayed there late. Um, and really we couldn't have done anything without them and this year as well, hoping to get uh, as much love and support from them. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I would lose my mind if I let someone take as big of a thing uh, from me, uh, not from me, but for me, I, I think it actually shows how much faith and how much trust you have in all the people you work with. Yeah. It's uh, there. The thing is, it's, it's not a blind faith like all of the all the people that are like integral parts of the committee and all the people that are supervisors committees such as becky dill and devin they've long proven their level of proficiency and trustworthiness 
uh, and they're just incredibly capable people. And all I would do if I tried to micromanage is get in the way. Uh, my, my mom was a businesswoman in the 70s, and she taught me was, always hire someone that's smarter and better than you. <laughs> Sounds counterintuitive, but you know, as long as they're ethical people, just going to make you look great. It really does crack me up because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you're so like the things you write are really good. I was like, yeah, because my wife double checks everything that I do because that's what she does for a living. So it's like, I always refer to, to my wife and I as, as a team, as like one person, because um, like, she's very good at public speaking and I hope to feel, or I hope to think that I am too, but most of the things that I write and things of that, uh, she helps me out with a ton. So it's always, always good to rely on the strengths of your team. And yeah, it seems to be like, that's what you guys are doing. Well, and the thing is, it's actually the too political, but sort of the zeitgeist that we've been living with for decades, if not forever is, you know, the delusions that any of us are self-made or that any of us, that our greatness is based on our own merits. There is always, always backstories and back people of support behind anything, any movement uh, that we see and view as great uh, and important. So it's not even like an act of humility, if you will, or me being kind. It's just simply me being truthful. Like this only happens because there's an entire team making it happen. Yeah. I don't think you could put it any better way than that. Thank you. We, uh, we as an industry have people that help teach us and we learn from them such as through apprenticeships and stuff like that. And it applies to a lot of things that are outside of our field. Just learning from other people and like absorbing experiences helps you grow. And it's, it's just awesome to see it applied to our industry, but in different ways. Just three more shout outs that I would you love can, to make. You can shout you know, from the mountain all day long. I love hearing this. So I'm, I'm totally oh, fine. <laughs> it has been so wonderful uh, actually developing a friendship with Cleo Dubois through all of this. Like uh, we were never like friends before. And now through this whole process of working on Fakir's uh working on his archive, we've actually become friends. There's like so many hidden gifts in all of this. Uh, just the closeness that I've been able, like I'm much more closer to Jim Ward of the gauntlet now than when I worked for him. And, you know, Elaine Angel for having that faith in me way back in 1990, when we first talked about me working for the gauntlet and her willing to take a risk in me and to take me on. And she taught me so much more than piercing. You know, she really taught me a code of ethics to bring to the job. And uh, I'm just grateful that I was receptive to it, even at such an, a young age. You know, we haven't mentioned one of the things I'm actually most freaked out, excited about uh, is we have a guest speaker this year that I've dreamed about coming to conference forever. And I never thought that we could get her. And that is Annie Sprinkle. And for those that may know Annie Sprinkle, she's a former porn star from the 1970s. Uh, later on, she performance art. But sadly, what she is not known for that I'm trying to change is her history, her contributions to the body piercing community. Uh, it won't take much retrospect to realize uh, that if you really look at the history of body piercing, 
there's an absence of the female. There's an absence of women. And the thing is, they have been there all along. There's also an absence of the East Coast perspective. And there was a scene very different than the West Coast, but there was a scene going on in tandem to the West Coast scene. And Annie Sprinkle was very much a part of those early histories. Huge contributor to PFIQ magazine, images, stories, uh, as well as like she was constantly inserting body piercing, breaking the fourth wall in porn, where she's talking to the audience about body piercing in the middle of the porn. Like just incredible things. She there's this one point um, where she has Jim Ward come on to pierce another porn star, and it's basically a how-to video, like walking people through what you know a labia piercing is, but it's being packaged as porn. So I'm super excited to have you. Um, if you're going to conference, uh, you're an idiot if you don't take her class. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so fun she's such a great the last conference i went to was when i can't forgive me i can't remember the name of the class but it was the the like piercings are the women women in porn i think it was that oh yeah yeah that that was i really out of all the classes that i took that year and i'm not trying to pad you up that one actually was my favorite it only was sad because i i missed the following year which was the other half from you but hopefully what will happen is is that we'll get absorbed in the archive and then i can spend some time to like peruse that and check everything out we shall see yeah could happen you never know fingers crossed a lot lot of stuff a lot of stuff going on on your end but we'll we'll see what happens but um, yeah, I just I really wanted to first and foremost, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me, um, of course, it, because it, it in my opinion, it's really important for people to see where this comes from. But then in addition to that, too, to actually have an understanding of the amount of work it takes to preserve our history, because if we don't, we're going to lose it. And I, I think it's incredible what you folks are doing on your end. Thank and, you. and hopefully after this episode of a few other people we'll see, and then maybe we'll get some volunteers. Maybe we won't, but, but either way, if you're going to go to conferences here, please stop by the archive and check out exactly all the work that they've done this year, just for this exhibit, and maybe spend some time just soaking in all that information. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm we, very jealous. <laughs> just, just to say, and maybe this will be for you too. Um, we have structured uh, on on behalf of some of the speakers that can't stay for the whole conference. We've structured Wednesday as the heavy hit archive day. So on Wednesday morning, it starts off at 10 a.m. with Jim Ward giving a lecture called Fakir and Me. Uh, for anyone that knows history, they realize how important that relationship was, but also how deeply troubled it was. And I've had quite a few communications with Jim. That's going to be a class not to be missed. That's 10 a.m. on Wednesday. There will also be scheduled tours of the archive uh, that'll be really good, including uh, Annie Sprinkle, I believe, that day is doing a tour. I believe I'm doing this from memory at 4 p.m. That will, uh, I'm saying sell out, even though costs, but it, it will get full. So make sure you register for that since you're listening to this podcast. Uh, also, Annie Sprinkle's class is at 1230 in the afternoon. It's uh, taking a walk on the wild side, New York City underground piercing. Again, don't miss it. It's literally a once in a lifetime lecture. She's never given it before. And, you know, she's a very busy woman. I don't see her coming back. 
So uh, definitely see that lecture. And then in the evening, we're having an evening of roots, Wednesday evening with Fakir. So we'll have Ken and Dustin from the Fakir Intensive. Uh, they'll be doing uh, a presentation on uh, the the school, the Fakir School. And we'll have uh, Alan Faulkner will be talking about his relationship and suspension and, and those intersections with Fakir. And then the main headline, of course, is going to be Cleo Dubois. And she'll be talking about her unique perspective of traveling a path of the body as the doorway to the spirit. Uh, 30 years with Fakir. And so she's going to have stories that nobody else has heard. So Wednesday, if you can only go for one day, Wednesday would be the day to go. I think it's also worth mentioning that even though the exhibit is going to be open all week and there are many different guided tours of it, just because you've seen it once um, doesn't mean you should only see it once. There's going to be so many fantastic perspectives and stories um, coming from all of the people who have agreed to do tours that I think it's absolutely worth looking at the schedule when you register and picking more than one opportunity to come through it um, with a guided tour because you'll get a very different um, idea of it. And two more things I know a bit wordy. Um, so my first tour, the 10 a.m. tour, when uh, the exhibit opens on Monday, is already it's already booked full. But I believe I have a Thursday morning. I think that's true. I think it's a Thursday morning uh, tour that still has slots available. And I am not lecturing at conference this year. Uh, I'm giving my slots over to the speakers I've already discussed. And I'm dedicating my time to just, well, <laughs> helping to run the conference, but also the, uh, the archive, the exhibit. So those two tours is, uh, where that are, they're going to be what are getting my energy this year. And if you're international, uh, the lecture, I, I prepare one new lecture every year and the new lecture that I'm traveling with this year is on Fakir Mustafar. So if you're in Mexico, UK, or the Germany conferences, that's the lecture I'll be giving. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. Uh, yeah, that's that's just so great. I just appreciate everything that you folks are doing. I know the amount of work is so high, but man, if you're going to conference, I I know that there's a lot of things going on and there's lots of stuff that you can do. But please take some time to check this out. You will not be disappointed. And I'm not talking about just spend like 10 minutes between a class because you're going to walk in there and you are going to lose track of time. I ended up missing, I think, a class two years ago because I was like, oh, my God, I've been here for 45 minutes. Uh, well, I got 45 more minutes, so I'm just going to stay here. And it, it, it really was pretty amazing, to say the very least. We've got I don't want to like, you know, I hate plot spoilers. But we got some really cool shit. You guys are going to love it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> so jealous. I mean, and I'm I can't, sorry. Will. No, no, it's okay. And I can't wait to hear from everyone, uh, especially uh, Tobias Vallone is is really into the history of our, our industry, at least through my discussions with him. So I know that as soon as the archive opens, I'll make sure that I'll get a ton of stuff from him. So feel bad for him because I'm going to blow him up all of Wednesday to hear all about it. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, no, once again, I just want to thank you guys so much for coming on and speaking to us and, you know, informing people. I'm I'm going to make sure that, you know, I put in the description of this episode, there are a ton of spoilers for conference because, 
man, oh man, it sounds like it's going to be the best year for the archive yet. We're super excited. Yeah, we're, we're feeling that that may be true. Yeah. So uh, why don't you guys just go ahead and just uh, let our listeners know uh, once again who you are where you're from, where they can find you, and uh, any other things that you'd like to discuss? Um, Well, all of the places that you can check out um, what we're doing. uh, Firstly, bodypiercingarchive.org, our website. Um, We have a page on Facebook um, that always has a lot of stuff being posted by Paul, um, especially with like his travels and the people he sees, which is fantastic. Um, There is a body piercing archive uh, on Instagram, which I'm trying my very best um, to continually add stuff to. I know sometimes when we get really busy, there are some gaps in posting. Um, but I'm, I've been really excited about it and showing behind the scenes stuff like in our stories. Um, so that is a good place to watch out for exciting things that we're doing. That is, that's all of our we social will media. have like a very robust <laughs> website. Our website right now is more informational, but eventually down the road, one of our medium term goals is to have an interactive, robust website. But first, (laughs) we have to get everything stabilized, cataloged, (laughs) and then software input. And uh, and then we can move on to the website. Baby steps. I imagine like everything you do is like a giant lorry. And you're just adding like shelf after shelf of like new, awesome, incredible things. So I don't think anyone's going to mind waiting because it's definitely going to be worth the wait. Thank you. Thank you. Did you hear one of the 17 times I said that I was jealous and excited in this episode? I truly am. The history of not only our industry, but everything never stops. This committee is always going to be working at collecting and preserving our history because every day, new and exciting things happen. I want to personally thank every single person on the committee for what they do. It's incredibly important to future generations so that our history doesn't fade away. I also want to thank our listeners for understanding the extra delay in this episode. We wanted to ensure that the Body Piercing Archive made the announcement of this year's theme before we did this episode to ensure that there were no spoilers. After this episode, Paul and I discussed the possibility to include possible minisodes for new and exciting things that the Piercing Archive is up to. I'm amazingly excited for this, not only because I get to hear about things that are coming up, but because we get to share them with our listeners and let them know what new things are in the works. Thank you so much to Paul and Devin for taking time out of their immensely busy schedule, especially before conference, to come on and speak with us. I've included links for everyone in this week's show notes, especially for the Piercing Archive directly. Please take some time to follow these guests, or better yet, go visit the online Piercing Archive to drive up its rankings. Thank you everyone out in the audience for listening, liking, and subscribing to the podcast. Your reviews and messages mean the world to me, but also to our sponsors. If you're a listener and want to help us out with the podcast, feel free to join our Patreon with all the other fans of the podcast. Their continued support helps us upgrade equipment, cover production costs, and supply this incredibly tired new dad with coffee to keep him awake for recordings. You can find more information about our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. I would like to thank our ongoing sponsors of the podcast. Our wonderful friends at Punk Medics have been busy providing our industry with natural, vegan, and cruelty-free products for all your piercings and tattoos. I use their simple cleanse to keep my filtrum in shape. Since the weather has been so super dry and it's hidden in my big bushy beard, 
Not only does it take care of my piercings, the hemp seed and aloe in it is great for my beard and sensitive skin too. One of the main reasons why I love this company is their commitment to ethical business practices. They keep their footprint small by using sustainable ingredients and produce everything in-house. You can find these products from their website, punkmedics.com, or through your favorite studio or online retailer. Our final sponsor for this week's episode is from our California family. Adam and Shelby Richens have been crushing it in their city of Santa Cruz at the beautiful Amory Body Arts. This is the only studio I trust in Santa Cruz to send clients and listeners to. They've been busy making all of Santa Cruz shine with not only gorgeous jewelry, but also with beautiful smiles from happy clients. If you're in the area, or even within a few hours' drive, I strongly suggest making the trip to visit this breathtaking studio. For all your piercing and jewelry needs, make sure to visit our friends at Amory. You can find more information about these companies under the Sponsors tab on our website, realtalkapiercingpodcast.com. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.